Get the care that's right for you and your family. There are many other options to manage and maintain your health. Find out what's available in your area. Call HealthLink at 811 to find out more about your health care options or visit albertahealthservices.ca backslash options. This is David Veach and you're listening to Passion for Health. This is your opportunity to hear from Alberta Health Services physicians and other healthcare providers, researchers, policymakers, community partners, and patients. To hear their stories and insights about what's happening to improve Albertans' confidence and satisfaction in their healthcare system. Tis the season to be jolly. Tis also the season to share with family. And because of that, tis a great opportunity to talk, as a family, about important matters that might otherwise go undiscussed. Today's guests are Dr. Jim Silvius, Medical Director for Provincial Continuing Care with Alberta Health Services, and Max Yeischuk, Executive Director for Provincial Continuing Care. They believe the holiday season presents a good opportunity to talk, as a family, about palliative and end-of-life care. They acknowledge these are not easy discussions to have during the holidays or at any time of the year. People want to talk about living and the things that they do and the things that they're looking forward to in their future. They don't want to think about the fact that at some point it ends. For themselves and for their loved ones. Absolutely, for both, yes. It's a cultural thing, isn't it? It's not this way around the world. That's correct, yeah. In Canada and and in North America, we tend to be much more reticent about talking about death than people do in other cultures. So you propose that maybe some of these difficult conversations, a good time to have them, would be at Christmas time, which seems to be counterintuitive in a way. Tell me why you think this is a good time. One of the challenges that we have is that people feel there's never a good time to talk about preparing for what they may or may not need towards their end of life. And that leaves families uncertain as to what decisions to make for people if they're unable to make them for themselves. So what we find is that people will suddenly have a health crisis of some sort and their family is inadequately prepared to make decisions about what kind of care they should be receiving and what needs to happen for them because they haven't had those discussions. Can you give me some examples about what can happen, like specifically what can happen when those conversations happen and what can happen when they don't happen? Sure. So when conversations have happened, then a decision maker who's usually another family member can come in and say, we know what mom or dad wanted. We can tell you that they would want this, they would not want that. We can help with the decision making around the type of care that they're requiring because they're not able to give you that direction themselves. When we don't have that happen, one of the problems that we often see is that different family members have different perspectives on and different opinions about what mom or dad might have wanted leading to no good decisions being made on behalf of the person. Now, is this because perhaps different members of the family have had different conversations or the use of inexact language? I would say that it's because if you and I have a conversation, you interpret what I'm saying based on you. And so if you think about family members, people will hear sometimes what they want to hear not what was actually necessarily intended by the person that said it. And that leads to different interpretations on the part of different family members as to what really the the, um, uh, wishes and desires actually were. So are you suggesting then that if a family is together and having these conversations at the same time when everyone is listening to the exact same thing, 
the chance of misinterpretation is less. It is definitely less. And, and in fact, if there seems to be a misunderstanding, that can also be discussed at that point in time with everybody in the room so that they come to a common understanding. Okay, how do you broach this conversation? Um, do you, if you're bringing the family together, is this something that you spring on them when everyone's there? Or do you have an initial conversation before the family gets together to say, this might be a good time to talk about whatever family member we're discussing? Typically in families, there are different types of relationships. And what we see, what I see in my practice, for example, is that a, um, an individual will also have a particular relationship with one of their children or perhaps with their spouse that's different than they have with other family members. And a spot to have the initial conversation is with that person. What do you think about my bringing this up, you know, when everybody's here for, for Christmas? Um, that to me seems to be an appropriate way to broach the conversation. And then you get feedback because the, the family member may say, you know, I think I already know. Um, I'm not so sure we need to have a conversation with everybody where they may say, uh, no, this isn't the right time, where they may say, you know, Mom, this is probably exactly the right time to be having this conversation. There's all kinds of things that can come from that conversation initially, but if the response is positive, then it gives confidence to the person who needs to have the conversation that it's an appropriate thing to be doing. If the initial response from the person who needs to have this conversation is, no, I don't want to talk about my end-of-care needs, how much prodding or persuasion should one use to say, no, this is an important conversation. It's not just about you. It's about everyone in this family. So I think, and this is my opinion, obviously, but I think the conversation needs to be appropriate and it needs to be comfortable. And if the person truly is not of a mind to talk about it at this point in time, it's probably not worth pursuing because you're not going to get where you need to go. That's why the preparation for the conversation needs to be uh, put in place. And I would actually suggest that having perhaps more than one conversation may be required to bring somebody around to thinking about the fact that the conversation needs to happen. Uh, but it needs to happen. And I think the key to all of it is we need to know, mom or dad or sibling, what it is that you want so that we can ensure we are respecting your wishes if something should come that needs us to step in and help with decision making. Let's get into a little bit of detail. What would that conversation, I know it's different for different people, but can you give the listener some examples about what are some of the things that would be discussed in this conversation? So there's all kinds of things that, that probably could or should be discussed, but the primary one is understanding the individual's wishes around what they would want to have happen if they were to have a significant health crisis. That's probably number one. The second thing that, that is um, important to talk about is also what kind of care somebody would want if they reached a point where they were unable to look after themselves at home. And that's a conversation that can sometimes be the harder conversation to have. The easier one is around, and we often hear this, I don't want to be on a tube and on a ventilator for the rest of my life. Right? And so that's a fairly straightforward, clear uh, conversation or statement, rather, for people to have. I think it's also important to recognize that there's often fear of having this conversation because, well, it might precipitate something, you know. 
But in fact, what we hear, because I'm a geriatrician, what I hear from, from individuals themselves is, I know what I want. I'm not afraid of dying. I want my family to know, but they don't know how to talk about it with me. What do you mean? So I will see families where the, the patient will come in and I will spend some time talking with them. And we will have some conversations about uh, end-of-life care. And they will tell me things that they don't feel comfortable talking about with their family. Because they are afraid that their family will think what they're telling them is something's happening. When they're just being prepared? And when they are just trying to prepare. Is it a case of... This is a child that I've raised. I don't want to burden the child or, or even a case of, you know. Oftentimes, yes, that's exactly true. It also, I think, relates to the styles in which families have communicated with each other over the years. And as I say, there's often one relationship in particular that seems to be more important and the one that often can get the ball rolling. We've had situations where people have, have come in and not wanted to burden their family, but the family is sitting in the other room saying, we don't really understand what mom or dad want and we need to have some conversation with them. So the two just need to be brought together. I bet you that by identifying that special relationship, there are background conversations that might go on within between siblings that say, you know, why don't you approach mom or dad and have that discussion and get the ball rolling and then we will enter into that conversation when we're prepared. Is that how it often goes? I think that's exactly right. I think it's that everybody in the conversation needs to be aware or comfortable that in fact it's an okay conversation to have and oftentimes the fear is that it's not an okay conversation or there's going to be an implication for somebody and that leads to the conversations not occurring. Yeah, so, you know, what it is we're talking about is we're talking about advanced care planning. Yeah, so advanced care planning is a way to think about, talk about, and document uh, wishes and values for health care treatment and options. It is a process that can assist in making health care decisions now and into the future. Um, we know that um, uh, Jim was responding to one of your questions about how do you talk about advanced care planning at the kitchen table? How do you talk about advanced care planning at the holiday table? How do you talk turkey and introduce advanced care planning? The first step in the architecture that we have in place in Alberta about for advanced care planning is for people to think of for themselves what is it that their wishes and values are and for them to then describe those wishes and values about themselves to their family. But that would be difficult if you didn't know what the options are, you know, or the scope of the topic. How do people know what all the things that they should be thinking about? Yeah, advanced care planning is a process. And, um, and it's something that happens over a long period of time. Introducing advanced care planning and talking about wishes and values of healthcare treatments at end of life or healthcare decisions as individuals' diseases progresses or their life progresses um, is something that isn't decided at the dinner table during that first conversation. Um, people need to understand and talk to physicians like Jim about what are those care options? What is it that truly um, intensive care and resuscitative care and those measures, what are the true outcomes and is that uh, something that matches an individual's values of how they want to be able to receive health care? especially as they get older and are aging. So what resources are there for people to 
ask themselves all the questions that they need to ask them. Yeah, so in, in Alberta, uh, we have a website, conversationsmatter.ca. It's a resource that was put together for Albertans by Albertans, and it, it utilizes the system that we have in place that's across the continuum that's recognized by family physicians and physicians within our acute care facilities and other healthcare providers as well. Within this website, which can be accessed through the Alberta Health Services smartphone apps, um, or through the Conversations Matter website, or through the My Health uh, portals for the personal health portal that's being created, um, individuals will be able to be provided with tools and resources to be able to start understanding what different treatment options are, are like and to be able to understand by looking at videos and going through other individual stories of um, how uh, treatment options may affect uh, or may um, guide their future decision making on what meets their individual needs, values, and wishes for the future. Now, I think it might be important to point out that this is a guide to think about the conversation, that there, no, one's making any, no one's making any decisions that are going to be written in stone by going onto that website. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, it's in, uh, the resource was put together, as Max said, by Albertans for Albertans to give people an opportunity to find a way to talk about things or to think about things they haven't particularly considered um, in a comfortable fashion with their family. So after going to that website, that's when you might want to use an event like Christmas or a family day to broach a conversation when you're comfortable uh, with your own decisions to be able to share that with family. So some people don't need the website. Some people have thought this through. But for people who are uncertain or people who have questions, it's a useful resource. Are there many instances where families disagree? And what happens then? Yes. So that gets back to the comment I made earlier about um, where there's different perceptions of what the wishes are for an individual. And that can create significant challenges. Um, what we often will recommend to families is that once they've had an initial conversation, they need to have follow-up conversation to ensure that they're actually on the same page and they're understanding the same thing. Because the worst thing that can happen is that there is a significant disagreement, not only because it leaves in doubt what the proper and appropriate care should be for an individual, but it can also be damaging to family relationships. And the uh, comment I have heard that one sibling um, provided direction that was listened to that was not consistent with the rest of the family is not something that's entirely unusual. Which can do... It can do a lot of harm and it does harm within the family relationships particularly and sometimes also harm for the individual when there is guilt over the fact that they disagreed with their family and the outcome may not have been what everybody wanted. Or when the disagreement is through a spouse, not a sibling. Yes, that's correct. You've probably seen that too. Yeah, we have. My past experiences as a registered nurse in the intensive care unit, we experienced this quite a bit. Uh, people would have a significant health uh, change in their health, which would result for them to become a patient within the ICU setting. and. Very difficult decisions are, are needed to be made by the clinical team. Quickly, under, Quickly, too. under the guidance of the, the patient's family members that are present. Uh, scenarios where, or patients where they have not had great conversations about advanced care planning, 
and have not documented their wishes or have not been able to discuss their wishes and values with their entire family has resulted in a larger and a higher burden of moral distress by the care team as they work with family members who are also feeling distressed and discussing about would this be care that my loved one would want to receive or not. These are life and death decisions at this stage with an ICU. And they're already in crisis. Correct, correct. And the worst case that we see often is that decisions need to be made quickly under a very emotional circumstance. And uh, families very often are not aligned when there are poor advanced care planning conversations historically or no documentation, no personal directive uh, written. that defines what that individual's care um, uh, wishes and values would be. I know that uh, I think everyone would uh, uh, acknowledge a time in their life when they've been in crisis and your memory doesn't work as well as it does when you're not in crisis and your ears don't work and listen as well as they do when when you're not in crisis. And you've often talked about having these conversations but you also talked about document. Is that the, one of the real key components of this, is not only just have the conversation, is to document it and in such a way that it can be shared with the family so everyone knows exactly what is being asked for? There are five steps to advanced care planning. The first step is to think about those scenarios of when I can't speak for myself, what kind of care treatments would really align well with my wishes and values. The second is to learn, as you mentioned, to learn about what care treatments are there and how do, those, uh, how, do, how do those look and how will those feel for me as an individual receiving those care treatments within different care settings. The third is to choose the type of care treatments and the type of uh, care options that you would like to be able to receive for those scenarios where you can't speak for yourself. The fourth is to communicate back to your family, to communicate with your loved ones And the fifth is to document what it is that you are communicating and to also document, and this is a very important step in advanced care planning, to document formally who will be the decision maker for you when you can't speak for yourself. When there's a documented, identified decision maker, uh, those scenarios within the ICU that I described are easier in the terms of the care team and the family understands exactly who the loved one appointed as the ultimate decision maker. I was about to ask whether that is a unilateral decision or one, depending on the family dynamic, best to to, uh, be made as a family. Well, at the end of the day, the decision belongs to the individual. And although it is important that there be family discussion around who the decision maker should be, it is up to the person to make that decision themselves. You mentioned the five steps. How long does that take? It's a ever-going process. So we're, our values and our, the, the way we perceive our lives as we age changes. So as we go through the five steps of thinking about learning, choosing, communicating, and documenting, Um, As we grow older, as we acquire additional chronic diseases or first chronic diseases, and we start to identify and learn about what care treatment options are specific to us as individuals with these new conditions or with aging or with experiencing other family members and loved ones as they age or get sick or die in the care that they received, uh, 
we know that our perceptions of what is important to us changes over time. So advanced care planning is an ongoing process where um, uh, it's important to, to always be communicating with those family members and those loved ones about where you are in your process of the type of care and the treatment options that you like and to document that when there's significant changes to, and, to your wishes and values. And part of documentation is identifying a goals of care designation which is a process we put in place across Alberta which allows an individual to give a sense of what goal of care they would desire if they were in a position they couldn't speak for themselves. How many designations are there and what are they? So it's based on an RMC system. Essentially R is resuscitative, M is medical care, and C is comfort care. Comfort care is really for individuals who are at end of life and it gives an indication of what they would want in their last days or weeks. Resuscitative care is care that provides all levels of resuscitation including chest compressions in a cardiac arrest, intubation to be placed on a ventilator if required, and potentially intensive care unit care. Medical care is divided into care that does not include resuscitation but can or cannot include ICU care depending on the choice of the individual. And these are designations that are decided by an individual on behalf of themselves. They are conversations that are documented and that include identification of who was part of the conversation along with the individual. They also identify what components of care were discussed as part of the decision-making around that goal of care and there is an expectation in Alberta that they will be updated either annually or with a change where the individual makes a decision that they wish to have a different designation than they originally provided. People are of the impression sometimes that once they have decided on a designation and documented it they are forever after going to be held to that designation. That is not correct. Once a designation has been decided upon an individual, should there be a change in their health status or should they change their mind, are able to go back and revise their designation to be something other than what they had originally intended. It is important that those conversations are also documented and we have a process to do that as well within Alberta. You document something, where do those documents reside? So this is the what we call the infamous green sleeve. And the green sleeve is actually a pouch or a folder that contains both the goals of care designation and the tracking record. Oftentimes people will put other documents in with it that are particularly important in terms of their health care. But those documents and that green sleeve belong to the individual and they go with them whenever they are involved in health care delivery. I think one of the other things that's, that's important to recognize is that at this point in our history in Canada, there is much discussion about physician-assisted death. I think it's equally important that we recognize that we have palliative and end-of-life care services available in the majority of this province which have been deliberately designed and developed and fostered 
particularly over the last few years, to a plan that was developed in 2014, which was intended to improve access to both expertise and to care that's required for individuals when they reach a point where they require palliative and or end-of-life care. And it's a conversation that seems to be getting lost right now in all the discussions about physician-assisted death, which may in fact be viewed as being the only option for people when they reach a point where they have significant symptoms or other issues that are causing them grievous and irremediable suffering. But the reality is we are working hard to enhance the delivery of palliative and end-of-life care services that could in fact be an alternative to a decision around physician-assisted death. But really goals of life care could surely be something that people who are young, or relatively young, and still healthy should have in their back pocket too because you never know what can happen, right? So as we look at advanced care planning, there are multiple components to it. Some of them are legal components, such as putting in place a personal directive and an enduring power of attorney. Those are things we recommend people do. We recommend people write wills. We equally recommend that people write a goals of care designation for themselves in order to be very clear about what it is that they do and do not want going forward. It's simply another component of the work that we all should do at any age to prepare ourselves for the unexpected in the future. Where can people go to get more information about palliative care? In Alberta, we recently launched a palliative care website for the province for Albertans uh, using the myhealth.alberta.ca health portal. Right now, we have information about health care uh, services for palliative life care from border to border across all of Alberta and information for people to be able to receive through the website and also phone numbers for people to be able to phone and talk to health care providers that are experts in palliative care and potentially start a referral process for palliative care for themselves or a loved one um, or to just be able to go and receive information. Additional to that, the website has information about how to manage symptoms for individuals. So if somebody's suffering from pain or they're having trouble breathing, uh, there's some really great tools on our website for Albertans to be able to understand better what, how they are able to manage their symptoms and uh, the resources that are available to them. Additional to that, individuals who provide health care who are not palliative specialists, there, there's tools, information, and guidelines available for them as well through the myhealth.alberta.ca palliative care health portal. That's, that's on. What should they type into the search engine? Palliative care, and that's all that they need to do once they're on the My Health portal. Additional to that, through the Alberta Health Services smartphone app that's available through the iStore or Android store, uh, there's a button on there that takes them straight to Conversations Matter. Wonderful. As well. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Jim. Thank you very much. Always a good conversation. This is David Veach, and you've been listening to Passion for Health, produced by Alberta Health Services. You can follow us at ahs.ca backslash podcasts to add your comments. We would love to hear from you.